Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Why don't you stand with me and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Um... This is going to sound like a joke, but it's very sincere. I have, uh, I'm diagnosed really badly with ADHD, and I say that because distractions really do uh, throw me off. So if you have kids, if you, you know, I love kids, just not while I'm preaching. Uh, that was kind of a joke. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't like my kids either. I got you, Pastor. I got you. But if you could just help me, because I know it's a Wednesday night, it's a school night, and um, there can be a lot of distractions, but I do have a word from the Lord. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. It's an honor to be in any house, but especially to be in Pastor Josh's house. I don't know him well, but his sister has high standards, and so um, I'm scared of her. Don't tell Shar, but I'm a little, not your sister, but <laughs> cousin, I'm scared of Shar, so I know she's got good taste. She must have good taste, so I take it an honor to be here with you. Matthew chapter 16, if you got it, say amen. If you need more time, say, hold up. Okay, I'm with you. I said, open up your Bibles, but some of you had to turn them on. It's all good. However you get it, you get it. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 18. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, but it's okay. Some of you haven't read all week. You need to catch up. Be good tonight. Matthew chapter 16, let's start down at verse 17, and here's what it says. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven stay right there keep your finger there but turn over to john chapter 21 this is the kind of church that loves the word right okay good you got a lot of churches preaching uh, psychology and i've got no qualms against psychology i just believe the word can do some stuff that therapists can't do Y'all still believe that, don't you? Y'all real quiet. And the, the scriptures will actually save you some money. That's all. I'm... Let's look at verse. I feel very comfortable tonight. Is it okay if I just be myself? You'll, you'll get the best version of me if I can just relax. Let's look at John chapter 21. Look at verse. Let's start up at the top. Yeah, let's look at John chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in the way, and on and in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. 
So they went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it still speaks life. That it is a double-edged sword that cuts to the marrow of our souls. God, your word is already blessed, so I don't need you to bless it. What I need, God, is for you to anoint me to preach your word. And anoint your people to receive it. God, and I promise when it's all said and done, we want you to be glorified, your people edified, and that Satan terrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, but on your way down, just look at somebody and say, God wants to use you to build his church. God wants to use you to build his church. Just a little bit about myself so you have some context. Um, I've never preached this message before, so I I don't know if it's going to be 15 minutes or 15 hours, but we'll find out together. (laughs) The good news is that I saved 15% of my insurance with GEICO. (laughs) And I saw you guys, let me just say really quick before I get into this, um, I saw that you guys were singing in Spanish, and una día yo voy a predicar en español, the next time I come, yeah, right, porque yo sé mi esposa es latina, so necesito aprender a pre, uh, predicar, that's the right word, right? It's been a minute since I pulled out my Spanish, but <laughs> figured if you're not impressed with my sermon, you'll be impressed with my bilingualism. But I want to honor that and, and kind of let you know that that's not happening everywhere you go that it's an important thing because uh, there are so many uh, churches that are multi-ethnic but not multicultural. Do you see the difference there? And it's okay to have different colors, but we want to see the expression of the body of Christ. So I just contend that you continue to lean into that, especially because your pastor is white. Make him uncomfortable with ethnicity. <laughs> He's red now, but before, <laughs> he was white. Um, it's time we get a little uncomfortable that we take care of. We're complaining about the injustice out in the, the world. But, uh, and I used to be an AG guy. But in the Assemblies of God, there are very few uh, senior leaders, executive positions that are filled by people of color. So I say that because your pastor's leaning in as a white pastor in the Assemblies of God, in the Fresno area. It's not easy to take a stand for racial justice. So I always believe, because I'm a pastor now, I don't know how I got got there. I'll talk to Jesus when I get to heaven. <laughs> but I do, I want you to um, honor your pastor better than I can honor him. Would you just stand if you're grateful for this man of God and just the courage it takes. Would you just honor him for a second? Hold up, hold up. Y'all are clapping. Y'all are clapping like, y'all have not, wait, hold on, hold on a second. Just keep standing because y'all have not met the pastors that I've met. Not every pastor is good. Some of them suck. You got real blessed. And you got a good pastor. And if you really appreciate that, I need you to let him know how much you appreciate that for real. Go for it. Love. That's awesome. All right, you can take your seat, but never let a guest outdo you in honoring your pastor, all right? He's got to put up with you when I drive off. Quite often when we think about building the church and your pastor tasked me tonight, I said, what do you want me to preach on? He gave me two different subjects. He said, you can either preach on intimacy with God or preach on building the church. And I thought to myself, I'm an overachiever. Let me try both. So let me give you a two-for-one deal tonight. Because you cannot build the church of the living Savior without his presence. There are a lot of churches who try. And we become nothing greater than community centers that are themed with the Holy Spirit. But unless we are endued with the supernatural power of the Spirit that only comes from intimacy with God, we will never build the church. We'll build organizations, 
We'll feed the sick. We'll have a service every Sunday morning, but you won't build the church. Everything labeled the church is not the church. And I hate to be the first one to disappoint you, but every church isn't created equal. There are some churches that think they are the church, but they promote sinful lifestyles. They accept sin. That is not the church, friend. There are some churches that think they're the church and they preach what I call a moralistic theology where we just teach you how to be good so that you don't go to hell. That is not the church. Because according to scripture, it is not our righteousness, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that we're not Christians because of how we voted. I'm not nervous. I brought my own car. (laughs) Somebody came and said to one of our members, how can you call yourself a Christian and vote for so-and-so? I said, you've obviously never read the red letters because your faith is what gets you in. It's not your vote. Ooh, y'all didn't like that in Fresno. It's all right. I say this because so many churches, quote unquote, are building what God didn't call them to build. And I wonder if it's because we have leaders who have more fear of the board than they do of the Lord. There's only one fear that's acceptable in the kingdom. Uh, he, he says that you're not allowed to be afraid of anything. It's actually sin. We don't teach about this because fear is one of the most accepted sins in the church. But according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says that those who are drunkards and um, sexually immoral, that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But do you know who's at the top of the list? It says cowards. That you know in the kingdom there are no punks. This is the Oakland International Version. I'm going to help you. But because we have so many pastors, and just so you know, I kind of preach like a burrito. I slow in the beginning, get everything all over. But by the end of this thing, we'll wrap it up and it'll make sense. Just hang with me for a little bit. But I say this because I want you to understand that what we're contending for when we say built the church is not another building, it's not a bunch of services, it's not a youth group, it's not any of those things. What we're actually trying to build is the system that was created in the New Testament so that disciples can be multiplied. If a church is not multiplying disciples, it is dead. According to science, if something doesn't grow, we call it dead. When we see a church that hasn't grown for 20 years, we call it the Assemblies of God. I didn't ask to come, you invited me. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder if we're not growing, if our churches are not growing, not because we need a new pastor. I bet you it's not because we need a new pastor. I was preaching at one service, and it, just to warn you, you should be careful what I say, what you say around me when I'm hungry. My mouth is not as controlled as my spirit is. Um, but this person came up to me after I preached, and said, man, brother, you're such a good preacher. I wish you were a pastor. We need a new pastor. And I looked at her without holding a breath and said, maybe your church doesn't need a new pastor. Maybe it needs a new congregation. Because maybe the day of believing that only the pastor does the ministry, only the pastor prays, only the pastor ministers, that day is over. As a matter of fact, that day was never supposed to be created. According to the book of of Ephesians that said, pastors in the fivefold ministry were raised up to teach you how to do the ministry. But we think that we can abdicate our responsibility in building the local church as long as we pay tithes. But can I tell you that he is not your prostitute and there's not enough money that you can pay God to not be obedient to him. And I want to pursue this tonight and I won't take very long. But I want to tell you that the secret to church growth is not small groups. The secret to church growth is not a better worship team or a fantastic preacher. Can I give you the secret? Would you like to know? 
Okay, I don't have to tell you. I keep it myself. I know the secret. God already spoke. Can I tell you the secret? I'm a talk back preacher. You got to talk back with me. If you've never been to a church with black people, I know you've been to a movies. We, we're loud. We're loud. The secret to church growth is intimacy with God. Prove it. I got you. We read about Peter in John chapter 21. And I'm talking real soft, but sound man, I'm warning you because I feel a yell in my spirit real soon. I'm an old school Pentecostal. Y'all are used to these like, I got two or three that'll hang with me till midnight. You know the old school. We, these kids do a two-minute altar call and think they touched heaven, man. Back in my day, you were at the altar for an hour. You got back up and said, thank you, Lord. And the church mother said, no, sir, get back down. <laughs> he ain't done. <laughs> he said, well done, good and faithful servant, not medium rare. Get back down there. When we come to John chapter 21, it's almost at a climactic or even a conclusive ending for where Peter has been his whole life, that Peter for the last three years had been walking with Jesus, and Peter was the one who walked on water with him. Peter was the one who saw him heal the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 long years. He, he was in the room with Jairus' daughter when Jesus stretched his body over her body. He, he was there when the man had to be prayed for twice by Jesus because he was blind. And the other blind man was named Bartimaeus. She, Peter was there when, when Jesus took his spit, hocked a loogie, and put it in some dirt, rubbed it across a man's eye, and called him healed. Peter was there when the leopard got healed. But Peter was also there in John chapter 21 when his faith has run out and when he walked with the Savior but no longer believed. Don't, don't fool yourself in thinking that a devotion you had at one time will sustain you all the time. And many of us are living in what God did in our life and we're not actively pursuing for what God wants to do in our life. And I wonder if it's for some of us the same reason why Peter had gotten to this place. I wonder if it's because of disappointment. I wonder if Peter is disappointed because if you read church history and the culmination of scripture, Peter did not want a spiritual revolution. He wanted a political one. And I know this is a little different than 2021 in America, God forbid. <laughs> but Peter desired such a political revolution that when Jesus did not perform like Peter won, the Bible says in John chapter 21, this very important phrase that I need you to write down if you're taking notes. The Bible says that Peter told his boys, I'm going fishing. Whew. Now, before you get too happy and you start preaching about fishing being sin, fishing is not sin. Let me tell you what fishing represents. It represents the normality that Jesus had called Peter out of. That Peter had sacrificed his boat, his income, his livelihood. We can't get you to tithe, but that's a different sermon. Um, he sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. And now the very thing that Jesus had called him out of, he went back to. Because sometimes living in normal feels a whole lot safer than living with God. I know you're not going to say amen too much because you're the woman of power. You speak in a thousand syllables per minute in tongues. I know you got this and you never have doubt. But there are some of us who have had some Sundays where we reach the hills of heaven in the presence of God but find ourselves depressed by Monday evening. There are some of us in the room tonight that are here holding back tears because of the pain of what we're going through. And yes, we know that God is real, but we want to know, God, are you really real? There are some of us who have been in a place of disappointment where Jesus didn't do things the way that we wanted him to. We stayed holy, got saved, got married, and now we can't have children. What do you do when Jesus leaves you disappointed? Started a church and then COVID happens. Yeah, thanks for the warning, God. 
What, what do you do when things don't go back like you thought they would? You know what most Christians do? They don't backslide. They don't go to the strip club. They don't go drink, and they don't have drugs. You know what most Christians do? They go fishing. Because going fishing, at least I, I, I know this. <laughs> yeah, I signed up for ministry. I was a part of the worship team, but I'm tired of getting my feelings hurt. Pastor wouldn't let me hold, have a solo. You know, I'm disappointed here. I'm disappointed there. So you know what? I'm done with all this church stuff. Let me just go live a normal, safe, predictable life. Because at least I know where fishing will take me. Peter doesn't go to the club. He goes to the fishing boat. And I wonder how many of us are going to church in the fishing boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're singing, you're worshiping, but you're sitting in the boat of your disappointment, in the boat of your disillusionment, in the boat of your pain. But pastor, as long as I sit right here, have my little regular nine to five job, don't ask God for too much, at least I won't be disappointed. But Peter is disappointed and he's gone back fishing. And to make it worse, the Bible says, that the boys who were with him, well, you going? I'm going too. Because compromise always wants company. <laughs> you know what I've noticed, Pastor Josh, in the few, first few months of uh, pastoring a new church? You don't have to start a small group for gossipers. I, I don't know if God's speaking to them prophetically, but they just find each other. You, you don't have to start a small group for the insecure. They just find each other. And I found that who you hang out with is a strong indication of where your faith is. And many of us are hanging out with boat-like friends. What are you talking about, Pastor Joe? They don't challenge you. You tell them about who you slept with yesterday, they don't say nothing to you because they're more afraid of losing your friendship than they are your soul. I'm going to get the young people and the old people today. And I found that when you walk in disappointment, when you've been disillusioned, when you've been a church kid your whole life and you're watching your mom and dad serve the Lord, but here you are financially struggling, that oftentimes who you surround yourself is an indication of what's happening internally. And I just want to ask you, do you have friends who push you to greatness? Friends who tell you, no, 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 sweetie, I, I get you doing the little 15-minute-a-day prayer meeting to keep the devil away, but we got to pump that sucker up a little bit. Yeah, we don't have friends like that anymore. We don't have friends who actually tell us that we're wrong, who tell us to grow up, who tell us to mature. I had to hurt somebody's feelings recently because they just kept coming at me because I wouldn't put them on the worship team. Finally, I looked at him and I said, bro, you couldn't hold a, buck, a, a note if we put it in a bucket. I mean, I said it a little nicer because I'm his pastor, but... Like, we don't have friends who, who treat us or who, who challenge us to growth because maybe most of our friends have gone fishing just like we have. Maybe more, more of our friends don't actually want. How many of you have actually had a vision that this church is going to multiply? How many of you have had a, a heart for this church to grow? Or, or, or have we just gone fishing? I'm going to just come on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning, pay my tithes, brother. Maybe end up doing one mission or two before I die. But God bless you, brother. I'm saved and going straight to How many of us have compromised the fact that Peter was called to build the church and now he's gone fishing? Jesus, just a few chapters ago, gives him a prophetic word that upon this rock, his name literally being meaning rock, upon this rock will I build my church. And the guy that Jesus picked has gone fit. Jesus, did you know what was going to happen? And here's the good news. I've spent my whole ministry telling young people to believe in God. I forgot the other half. He believes in you. 
I think you missed it because you didn't get happy enough or maybe you're not taking notes, so let me try it one more time on this side. I said, yeah, 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 go ahead and believe in God. But you got to understand that the only reason you can even believe in God is because he first believed in you. We don't preach about the cross anymore, but if I was in a Baptist church, I'd tell you one Friday evening they stretched him high and stretched him wide, and Sunday morning he rose again and came alive, not just so that we could be saved, but so that we could be like him. But many of us are settling for not going to hell when there's just so much more. And Peter, jacked up Peter, cuss him out Peter, cut off an ear Peter. Peter's that kid at the youth group. You love him, but you wouldn't mind if he didn't come to youth retreat. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. You sit there and judge me, but you've never had to pastor Freddy Cougar and, and Jason and, and then have the audacity for these parents to drop them off and be like, can you turn my demon into an angel in 90 minutes? Don't go 91 minutes because we'll be waiting back at the church, waiting for you to finish. Peter's that kid who's like, I know you love God, but bro, come on, stop hitting on the girls. Peter's the guy who, like, come on, bro. You, you just had a full-on youth retreat where God impacted you, and now you're listening to this disgusting music. Peter's that guy who has faith high on one day and faith low on another day, and Jesus never discounts his faith, as feeble as it is. We judge, but Jesus sits back, and he prophesies to Peter that he is going to be the foundation of the church, and I think that that means so much metaphorically. I think it means so much spiritually that Jesus is building his church on broken, screwed-up people. He, he didn't build it on Paul. He, he didn't build it on John, his beloved. He said, I'm building it on the guy who can't get it right, the guy who keeps messing up. He, he loves me, but he's got a porn issue he's working out. Oh, y'all don't like that kind of talk, do you? Yeah, yeah, he, he's anointed, but he's got some stuff that God's still working on. And Jesus says, that's the guy that I'm going to plant my church with. And, and let me speed up. We get to John chapter 21, and Peter has gone fishing. He's gone back to what's comfortable. He's gone back to what's normal. He's gone back to what's safe, and Jesus still calls him. When I got ordained with the Assemblies of God, the first thing that our presbyter told me, he said, I want you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because I found out that in the tension of discomfort is where God grows my faith. The very thing that you're running from, the racing from, that's the very thing where Jesus will meet you to grow your faith. And Peter has gone back fishing, and Jesus calls him while he's out fishing. He's not expecting it. He believes Jesus has gone. And Jesus sabotages Peter. You may not know this, but tonight in this room is palpably an opportunity for Jesus also to sabotage you. Could it be that we're not in a church? Could it be that we're in a boat and Jesus is getting ready to call some folks closer? John chapter 21, Jesus says, come on, come on. And, and check out what Jesus tells Peter. He says, are you tired yet? <laughs> like Jesus doesn't already know the answer. But sometimes Jesus will ask you questions because you don't know the answer. You done with the nine to five? You, you done playing it safe? Because if you are, because I know you've caught nothing productive, uh, excuse me, uh, busy but not productive. <laughs> Wait a minute, Pastor Jesus. We're fishermen, professionals. We've got a corporation. We know how to do this, an LLC. We've been fishing our whole life. How dare you try to come up? Because that's how most of us American Christians would respond to Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're ever in a conversation with the Savior and you're trying to figure out if he's right or wrong, just know you're wrong. 
He says, Peter, you've caught nothing. Try it again. And I've watched Peter, uh, preachers mess this part up, Josh, where they, they try to make something fantastic out of this. You know, he was fishing on one side, and then all you got to do is throw your net on the other side. Do the, it's like, that's stupid. That's not the point. The point is, if you submit to Jesus, you'll be fruitful in your labor. That's the point. That apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, you will never be fruitful for the kingdom. So, Peter, you've been fishing without me. Let me show you what it feels like when you obey me. And then he says, after you're done obeying me, come and eat. Wait a minute, Jesus. You prepare a table for... What Jesus wants us to know is that he is drawing us in, not to a place of labor, but to a place of rest. Come on, Pastor Dell, you're confusing me. I went to public school. Help me figure this out. I got you. You're telling me we need to labor to build the church, but then you're saying don't labor to learn how to rest. <sighs> this is why you're confused, because you're separating the two. There is a place in intimacy with God where you can learn how to labor from a place of rest. Because let me tell you, you're not tired from the load that you're carrying. You're not tired from the amount of works, uh, hours that you're working. Can I tell you what you're tired from? The expectation. That's what you're burning out from. You're burning out from what the kids want from you and what the spouse wants from you and what your employers want from you. And what you don't realize is that there's rest when you find what God wants for you. And Jesus says, you've been fishing out all day. Why don't you come and let me cook you a meal? Could you imagine? I get tears in my eyes because this is not the president. This is not your city mayor or city councilman. This is Jesus that when he speaks, cancer shrivels up and dies. Jesus, that at the mention of his name, mountains melt like butter. Jesus, waves still crash when you say his name. Jesus, the El Shaddai and El Elyon. Jesus, Savior and Messiah. Jesus, Alpha and Omega. Jesus, beginning and the end. Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley. Bright and morning star. This is Jesus, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. This is Jesus, King of Kings. And we don't talk like this anymore, but he's Lord of Lords. This is Jesus, the counselor and physician, the soon coming king, the kinsman, redeemer. And he's making a meal for Peter. Pick me. I'm so glad you did. Jesus, if you're going to make a meal for anybody, why don't you make it for John? He ain't forsaken you. As a matter of fact, you hooked him up with, with your mom, and now they're best of buddies. Why don't you make it for Jesus? And I found that Jesus is married to the backslider. And so this message is not just for the person who's been a church mom in the house of the Lord for 20 years. I'm talking to the young people halfway through the congregation who are wondering, can Jesus use me in my brokenness? And if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to use anyone. Jesus is the only creator that will wait for its creation to be broken before he ever uses it. You had to go through the heartbreak. That's how you learned how to pray. You, you had to have the job get from under you and give you the pink slip so that you could know who your real provider is. There, there are some breakings that every believer must go through because God will only use broken vessels. So Peter is broken. He is depressed. He is sad. And he's fishing. Because this is my one fallback plan. Jesus calls him again. And I, I used to tell people that Jesus is the God of the second chance. But it's not true. 
because I'm on my 800th now. If he was the God of only two chances, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Is anybody grateful that he's the God of an immeasurable amount of chances? Some of you don't clap because you don't understand grace. You don't understand the depravity of sin. But I'm grateful that Jesus spreads grace like a five-year-old spreads peanut butter. He just gets it all over a place. There's not a sin that grace can't meet. There's not an addiction that grace can't break. There's not a marriage. That I feel like preaching, but I'm trying to stay calm. There's not a marriage that Jesus cannot restore. The grace of God is enough to call you from whatever boat you find yourself in. Even if you're sleeping with that boat, drinking with that boat, he's still strong enough to call you out. My question becomes, and we don't have enough time to turn there because I'm too preachy. But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching the gospel. Now, mind you, in John chapter 21, Peter was just in the boat getting called back by Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that Peter and John are doing one of their first mission trips. They preach the gospel, and the first megachurch appears. I think it's about three or 5,000 people who are added to the church. And this is just a side note. I don't understand people who want small churches. I just want a small church where I just know everybody, brother, and just whatever. It's funny how we want his business to be small but not ours. It's just not about numbers. I've never heard anybody with numbers say that. It's not about numbers, brother. Then why did he write a whole book about it? And it's about counting his people. Because numbers matter to God. Because each number represents a soul. And until my youth group is bigger than the devil's youth group, we're going to complain about how small our numbers are. Mm -hmm. Some of you are like, I'm glad he's not my pastor. It's all right. You get yours back on Sunday. Um, in Acts chapter 4, they're preaching in the first megachurch's birth, because I'm talking about how, how, how to build the church of the living Savior. The, the mega, first megachurch is born, not just a regular size. Three to 5,000 people are added to the church, and the Sanhedrin, who are the religious and political leaders of the Jewish people of the day, they've got a problem with it, because religious people, they like church. They don't like a move of God. <laughs> Move of God better happen in the next 90 minutes because I've got work in the morning so I can get that paycheck, so I can take care of the kids I can't stand next to the husband I want to divorce, working for the employer I want to punch. But the service better happen in 90 minutes, brother. I believe that clocks have killed more revivals than the devil ever has. I'll have a nicer sermon if I come next time. Peter and John begin to preach. Three to 5,000 people get saved. And the Sanhedrin, who are the religious leaders of the day, because, again, religious people like church. They don't like the spirit and the move of God. They get upset, and they say, in whose name are you preaching? And you would expect that John, the apostle, the beloved one, would step up to the plate and begin to declare who Jesus is. But it's not John who declared. As a matter of fact, it's this guy who a few chapters ago in the book of John we were reading about, and he denies Jesus three times. Oh, you haven't forgotten the story about Peter, have you? Because Peter, after the, Jesus is on the cross, he denies Jesus three times. Two times, it's to a teenage girl. He can't even stand up for his faith to a preteen, which, let's be honest, preteen girls are scary. I'm trying not to make eye contact with them. Um, 
but Peter can't stand up for his faith to even a little teenager. How does Peter get from John chapter 21, gone fishing, denied Jesus three times, disillusioned, disappointed, to being the first evangelist and first church planner in history in Acts chapter 4? I'll tell you how he got there. Because between John chapter 21 and Acts chapter 4, you know what's in between there? Acts chapter 2. You want to know how to build a church? Learn how to wait in a room. No famous speaker, no famous worship. Learn how to wait on him. The disciples were told, go to the upper room. And we have recorded about 120 people there. But Jesus had invited double that amount. What happened to the other ones? Oh, come on, pastor. You know how it goes. He got work. What, what happened to the other people who were supposed to be in the upper room? Oh, you know, Pastor, my kids got school in the morning. So, I mean, they're, they're C students straight way through. But we're going home early. I, I wonder if those who were called to wait found something more attractive to do. Because you do realize that Jesus will tell you to wait, and like these disciples, won't tell you what you're waiting on. <laughs> What are we waiting for, Jesus? You'll know. Day one. All right. Did it come? Did what come? What we're waiting for? I don't know what we're waiting for, bro. What you going to do? Keep waiting. Day two. It come yet? I'm not sure. He said we know it, and so I figure we ain't seen it. Day 10, day 15. Day 20, it's easy to fast on the first day. <laughs> yeah, then all of a sudden, you got to start tapping out of emotionalism and into intentionality. <sighs> okay, that first hour of prayer. Come on, we all know what it was like when you first learned how to pray. I know you're an extraordinary intercessor, but come on, you know. God, I just pray for, and you just start listing off every nation you could think of. China and Africa, even though it's not a nation. But I pray for all of it, Lord. And you prayed your heart out. You look at the clock. It's two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I got one witness. Awesome. <laughs> I can always tell the honest people by the laughter. I got one witness. Come on. Or oh, the other one. Where, Lord, wherever you speak to me, that's what, in Jesus' name, open it up. It's like, okay, book of Leviticus. Let's try this one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if in our humor there's some beauty to be found and are pressing for God when we don't know what we're doing. What are we waiting for? I don't know. A move of God. What does it look like? I've got no clue. I know it looks like something different than what I have now. So what are you going to do on day 25? I'm going to wait. <laughs> what are you waiting for? I don't know. He just told me to wait. <laughs> day 27, I'm still waiting. What are you going to see? And we're laughing. And, and the truth is, this is how God often works to grow and mature us in the consistency of waiting, not in the exciting moments, not in the dark moments. It's in the consistency of waiting. This is why the children of Israel, before they came out of Egypt and went into the promised land, had to go through the desert. Why? Because for 40 years, it took them to eat manna and quail for their taste buds to change because they were complaining about leeks and onions and melons. Oh, my. Back in Egypt, when God had milk and honey for them but before the milk and honey can I tell you what comes manna manna is made out of coriander seed a little bit of flour and when you add oil and water can I tell you what it tastes like because I've made it it tastes like nothing quite often deliverance is boring it's mundane 
Quite often, pressing after the presence of God is not exciting. It's not flagrant. It's, it's not flamboyant in his nature. Quite often, it's just this mundane, I'm not hearing God speak to me, but I'm going to keep reading his word. No, I don't feel any jitterbugs. I ain't got no Holy Ghost in me, but I'm going to pray anyway. Yeah, that's what waiting looks like. This is why in Psalms chapter 27, verse 14, he says, wait on the Lord, I say, and be of good courage. And again, I say, wait. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why would you just slip that be of good courage part in there? And the Lord spoke to me and said, do you know how courageous you have to be to wait on me? To trust me when you don't know where rent is coming? To trust me when you have other choices, but you're just going to wait on me? Do you know how much courage it takes to not move in your own strength and build in your own strength and preach in your own strength, lead worship in your own strength? Do you know how insecure it makes you feel when a worship leader feels like we're just supposed to sing to the Lord and nobody's singing, you're the only one waiting? Do you know how much courage it takes to wait on the Lord? Because in between John chapter 21 and the compromise of the boat in Acts chapter 4 where the first church gets planted, there is an Acts chapter 2 moment. And you know the scripture. It says, when they were in one accord, not Honda Accord. When they were in one accord, the Bible says that they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind. That they saw tongues like fire. And they began to speak in unknown tongues. This is where I get Pentecostal. If you've been waiting, this is the moment. They hear a sound. They see tongues of fire. They speak with unknown tongues. They hear something that they've never heard. They see something that they've never seen. And they start speaking something they have never spoken. The church today is hearing the same thing, seeing the same thing, speaking the same thing, because innovation from the church doesn't just come from Craig Rochelle or your best church planning leader. Can I tell you where it comes from? Learning how to wait on the Lord. They waited on the Lord, saw something they had never seen, heard something they had never heard, spoke something they had never spoken. And maybe that, how do I say this in a a nice way? Because I I do kind of want to be invited back because y'all are a good looking crowd. My wife might be here. God bless you if you're here tonight. Um, (laughs) don't, Don't distract me. Come back. I am tired of preaching at the same places in different locations. What do you mean? I know what to expect when I come to a church. I know there's going to be 20 minutes of worship because if you sing past that, then congregation members get upset. I know there's going to be a 25-minute message and a cute little poem at the end. I know we're going to have some fellowship afterwards. And everything is predictable because the church that was founded on the move of the Holy Spirit has now gotten uh, dumbfounded in our own ways, in our own devices, in our people-pleasing. There is no hope for America without a spirit-filled church. It's not the White House God's worried about. It's his house. Matter of fact, he said, when I bring judgment, it's not going to start in the world. He says, judgment starts in my house. And I want to tell you, CVC, Without an awakened church, we're in trouble. Please hear my heart tonight. Without an awakened church, we are in trouble. 
So between John 21 and Acts 4 is an Acts 2 moment that is only induced because a bunch of people were willing to take off their clocks and wait. What would happen if time could cease for a moment? And in the midst of busyness, we'd learn how to wait on him. When's the last time you waited on him? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about just shouting him at your needs. Because most of us, if God answered our prayers, it wouldn't change the world. It would just change ours. We're not really praying. Not until you're praying kingdom come in the city of Madeira. You're not really praying. If all, if all you're doing is wasting your prayers on getting your bills paid and, and getting your children in the right school. I, I'm not knocking that. I'm not dismissing that because God cares about even our smallest desires. I'm just saying there's a bigger picture at play here. That, that we're not some little podunk uh, organization that's just trying to help a few people along in life. We are the church of the living God that the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead now quickens our mortal body. That we've been called to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. We've been called to lay hands on the dead and watch them. He said that we would lay hands on the leper and see them cleansed. And I don't know if we believe this thing, but either we believe it or we change our theology. Either we believe that God heals or we, uh, because every time we get to the supermarket, you do realize God doesn't just heal at altars. He heals, he heals in aisle six. <laughs> I can tell you, baby boy, I'm, I'm trying to watch for my time, but I can tell you stories of people that I pulled out of wheelchairs in the middle of Rayleigh's. You, you don't know my kind of God. The kind of God I serve doesn't need a time or a place. He is time. He is space. He's everywhere all the time. All he needs is a willing vessel. And I just got a question. Are you going to be Peter? Are you going to admit that you are broken, that he shouldn't use you? Truth be told, I got a few folks he should use before me, but the fact that he picked me, I received the call to build his church. How do I build the church? I've got to build this church. And this is where I land. Worship team, help me play something romantic. It usually takes five minutes for the worship team to figure out I'm talking to them. No one's moving. So somebody, if you're sitting next to a worship team member, there you go. They might have forgot between worship and now that they were on the worship team. It's all right. We got your back. We got two singers. Do I hear a guitar player or a piano player? Do I? Okay. Okay, look. Two and one. You better get it, girl. I got some young men in my church. You come see me. All right? (laughs) I'm a church planner. I'm trying to grow my church, man. Any means necessary. Stand with me. I hope you've been blessed tonight, but here's the part where you do the work. I promise you I'm a good preacher. I promise you I can give you three points in a poem. But tonight, I just, um, even last night as I was preparing, I felt so stirred, and maybe it's just because of the season that you're in. Not to just preach a message. I, I promise you I could preach a, a million messages. But I felt like I was supposed to spark a stirring tonight. Some of you need fresh hunger. You haven't hungered for the deep things of God in a long time. Look at me for a second. Don't, don't, don't check out. Don't tune out. Hear me because I'm talking to you. Some of you don't have that passion that you once had. And maybe you're like Peter. You used to have it. But now you've just settled for fishing. Pastor, you can count on me. I'll be an usher twice a month. I'll serve on the worship team. But truth in it, truth is I'm not as passionate as I used to be. Some things happen. And you might be in your John 21 moment, but I've come all the way from the Bay Area to pull you into an Acts 2 encounter that's going to lead into an Acts 4 ministry. God wants to use you to build his church, not just Pastor Josh. He wants to use you to build his church. Look at me for a second. There are friends that will never get to meet me, but they'll get to meet you. But if you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, what do you say? 
What do you see? What do you, what do you hear? The, the empowering of the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to make us live right and to live holy. The powering of the Holy Spirit comes, us, comes for us to continue the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. You know why? Because you're about to be uncomfortable. If you do Christianity right, you're going to need the comforter. So I'm not going to ask who's been in a dry place because there'd be too many hands up. But would you take a moment and close your eyes and say, Lord, search my heart. Just pray that out loud and let the Lord search your heart. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com.